he said earlier. Uh, my name is uh, Brad Knight. I am in the coastal region, um, volunteering in the team ministry there, but I came here to preach because Jeff asked me to. I'm super excited to, uh, to preach this morning, and uh, I uh, got married to my beautiful wife about a year ago. Here's some change. Um, and uh, just kind of, if you guys are young married, Josh and Melissa got engaged yesterday, which is pretty awesome, pretty cool. One little uh, quick quick tip or feedback, you know, for the young marriage that's going to be married. Uh, you know, if your wife does something wrong, don't keep bringing it up again and again and again and again. I learned the hard way. Uh, we, uh, we actually lived down the street from Howard Elementary School, and my wife was driving past the school one day to hang out with her sister. And for some reason, she didn't know where she was going. She was on her phone trying to, like, get directions. And she, like, is going 45 miles an hour, which is fine. If it's not during the school times. So she ended up getting a ticket and like it was but the, the worst thing that I did was every time we drove past this area, I'm saying, What do you do when you see the sun light up? It was like uh, So for Josh, just give a quick tip. If, you know, you want to do something wrong, say it's okay, sweetie, and let it go. Alright, sounds good. Um, but I I, yeah, I work as a, a quality assurance engineer uh, for Virginia Natural Gas. And uh, our gas company, we repair broken gas lines, fine gas leaks, uh, weld together um, plastic pipe, steel pipe. And my job is to watch people work and pretty much find out or see where they don't follow the procedure and correct them. So I have a job because people don't follow them. Because you have this big, huge manual. They get hours to train. For whatever reason, they choose not to follow procedures. So because of that, I have a job. The people kind of love to hate me because I'm kind of pointing out things that are wrong and correcting them, which no one likes hearing that about themselves, but um, I have a job because of that. So. <laughs> but just a little background about myself. I, um, I grew up uh, religious. I went to uh, church most weekends. My mom even would make sure if she had to work, she would send us to church, to church with a friend of hers to make sure we went there uh, every weekend. I went to Christian camp a few times where we would worship God, have amazing services and, and praise. But a lot of uh, my religious background, the big focus was on God's promises. It was focused on what God had to offer for me. I remember memorizing John 10.10 about Christ giving us life to the full. I'm like, I want that. Or I remember learning about uh, John 3, 3.16, how by believing, we can get eternal life from Christ. I was like, I want that as well. Even Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock. Uh, He's totally out of context, but I was like, have a project due the next day. And I'm like, God, please help me, like, the, you know, finish this project. Help me to pass this exam that I procrastinated on, you know. And, and honestly, totally out of context. But uh, the, the truth is I really wanted God's promises growing up uh, as a teenager. Uh, but I didn't really want God's plan. Uh, part of it is I didn't know what God's plan for my life was. Other issues, I didn't want to submit or humble myself to actually live out God's plan. So turn over to Genesis chapter 22. And we'll look there and learn more about how God's promises and plan work together. I'm going to read verse 1 through 19. Because we're hearing pages turn. I'm used to like... Uh, in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to heaven, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. I'll pray and I'll start with the service. Uh, God, thank you just for bringing us together, God, to worship you, God, to glorify you. I pray that you can really uh, speak through your spirit, God, and speak through me, to really share what you want me to share, God, and preach what you want me to preach. Pray that we can all leave impacted, God, by your spirit and your word, God, and make decisions to, to draw you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let me give you guys a little background here. Um, in Genesis, we've gone through it for the past few, few months. But God has made so many promises to Abraham. Early on, he promises to give Abraham a son. Right, which is awesome. It's exciting to have a child. Then he says, I'm going to give all this land you see, all of Canaan's land, to your children, to your offspring. And then he, God even goes on and says, look at all the stars in the sky. Look at all the sands and in the, in the, in the, um, all the uh, sand on the beach. That's going to be how many kids you're going to have. I'm sure Abraham was like, this is awesome. All these promises from God, like all these blessings, children, land. It's like... You know, uh, someone said I served in Fiji for you. It's like someone said, hey, here's an island of Fiji. It's all yours. Go there for vacation whenever you want to. Yeah. Sure, you guys would be like, all right, sign me up for that, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it's crazy how God gives him all these promises. But then he also has a plan for Abraham. Abraham has a wife who is barren. I'm sure some of you may have had that experience. Know someone who has struggled with, with having children. Um, he turns 99 years old. And God comes to him, and he's like, you're going to have a child next year. And Abraham is like, I'm old. Sarah's old. 
This is not funny, guys. It's not a good joke here. You know, even he gives him a covenant of circumcision. He said, this covenant is not for just you, but for your future generations. At the time, he has no kids. In the same sense, like, you can't have children, but it's like, hey, here's a stroller for your kids. Here's a, here's a crib. Here's a college tuition fund. But I can't have kids. Like, right. come on, God, this is not funny. Uh, but, and finally, and, you know, uh, last time, as, as uh, Paul preached, God finally gave Abraham a son. He finally, uh, Sarah became pregnant, and she uh, gave birth to Isaac. Yeah. But now, what does God tell him? Go and kill your son. In the same sense, it's kind of, I'm sure Abraham was struggling, wrestling with, all right, God, I know you're right, I know you're good, but how do your promises and your plan add up? They don't make sense to me right now. What's your, your bigger plan for my life? You really see how Abraham wrestles with God's promises. He wrestles with them. You know, God gives him a commandment in verse one. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Like Ishmael is gone. Isaac is the last offspring you have left. Take him and go and kill him. You know, in verse three, it says early in the morning, Abraham got up to sacrifice his son. At first thought, maybe he was like eager, like, all right, you know, I'm going to sacrifice my son. Let's get this over with. I'm like, okay, being realistic. He probably didn't sleep that night. He probably was up all night long, tossing and turning, trying to like wrestle with what God asked him to do. Probably woke up early in the morning the next day, like anxious, worried, like with what God was calling him to do as well. I doubt he was doing it because he was eager. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have had a big event the next day and you couldn't sleep because you're just anxious and stressed about it. Um, even in verse 4, it says he went on a long three-day journey. No one knew what Abraham had to do except for himself and for God. So I'm sure he was in his mind, uh, uh, questioning God's promises, questioning God's covenant, uh, even considering turning back. You know, it's like, well, if God went back on his promise to bless me through Isaac, I don't have to obey God, even considering doing that. I'm sure he felt, he was on an emotional roller coaster, right? Feeling uh, confusion, maybe frustration, maybe even anger, even doubt towards God. But, you know, he actually, he ultimately ends up being faithful because um, even in verse 5, he tells the servants, hey, stay here. Isaac and I will come back to you. He was confident that somehow God would work and deliver his son, Isaac. Uh, and even when Isaac questions Abraham, I was like, all right, dad, I see the fire. We got the knife. Right. I've, seen you do, I've seen you do a sacrifice before on the altar. Where's the offering at? Like, what's going on? And, and Isaac, or Abraham's response is, in verse 8, God will provide. That he's faithful, he's confident that God will take care and God will, will, will provide. But I think the truth is he was confident in, in, in God's promise after wrestling with them. But I'm sure it was still hard to do what God wanted him to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Even though he had faith and he trusted God's promises, I'm sure still having to kill his son was a challenge for, for Abraham. And, and it's crazy here how in Abraham, or here in Genesis, God called Abraham to sacrifice and kill his son. But thousands of years later, God would do the same thing, and, and God would offer his son Christ on the cross for our sins. Yeah. Turn over to uh, chapter 14. Come on, Brad. And even to see, look at, looking at Christ's struggle and wrestle with, you know, trusting God's promises. Starting in verse 32, and I think for me, I always imagine, you know, Christ skipping to the cross, being excited to go on the cross. You know, you see him on the cross in the picture smiling. 
you know, but here you kind of really see the struggle he had with trusting God's promises in verse 32. Because they went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Can you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And you see the rustle, you know, Jesus had confidence and faith in God's power to resurrect him from the dead, right? He trusted God would come through, but he still wrestled with God's promises. Here he says he was overwhelmed, right? With sorrow to the point of feeling like, I just want to die right now. He even says he prayed again and again and again. He just kept praying, wrestling with God in prayer to have a humble heart to submit to God's promises. He even asked God if possible, like, is there any other way? Like, take this cup. You know, if you can, but at the end, he says, if not what I will, but what you will. And you see that at the end, he's even confident. He's all right. Like, let's go, guys. Like, here comes, you know, uh, Judas to betray him. Here comes the Roman guards. I'm ready. And you see how he really wrestles in prayer uh, uh, through God's promise, but ends up being confident and is able to approach God's promises confidently. And I think for myself, the biggest promise that I struggle with throughout campus uh, was Matthew 6, verse 33. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Right? Very popular verse. And uh, all these things referring to things we worry about, things that give us headache. And, uh, you know, growing up, my worry was about getting a career, getting a job, and being successful. That's what I, you know, I desire and I long for. And I went to college, ended up as, um, you said, I actually became a Christian my freshman year of college. Someone on campus reached out to me, uh, showed the scriptures towards me, uh, to me, and then allowed me, showed me how to follow Christ and become a disciple. And uh, it was great. So I was able to serve at the campus ministry, lead Bible talks, while uh, getting my degree and being an engineer at Virginia Tech. Um, but then I was about to graduate. And of course, my big word, my big fear was, all right, God, I sought you first. I, you know, made time to share my faith on campus, to be in Bible studies. I made time for you, quiet times. I sought your kingdom first. All right, God, come on now. What am I going to get? And I even uh, had a plan in my mind uh, for how I can serve God. It was they planted a church in West Virginia two years before I graduated. And actually, West Virginia was known for hiring uh, chemical engineers, which is what I studied in college. Like, great, you know, they're known for hiring chemical engineers. I hope with a small church planting, get an engineering job there. It's easy. So I started applying to jobs in the area and got no response at all. I'm like, come on, God, I'm trying to like be faithful and seek your kingdom and like do what to glorify you. Like you promised here that you would take care of me. I ended up um, getting a job offer in Texas to work for XMO making really great money. And I'm like, this is what I always wanted. Like, is this from God? I don't know. Uh, but really wrestling in prayer, you know, getting advice, praying, fasting, 
trying to seek out what God's will is for my life. I ended up deciding to turn the job in Texas down and I actually do a one-year challenge in West Virginia. I had to go there and without a job, to work part-time uh, at a coffee shop or fast food and <laughs> serving the ministry uh, uh, when I wasn't working was kind of the plan. And then actually later on, I got an offer, I think a few weeks later, to go to Fiji where it was a, a paid opportunity to serve in the ministry, like West Virginia versus Fiji. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a hard choice there. <laughs> yeah, it was just, of course, you know, they're both great churches, but I decided to go uh, to Fiji. It was a great opportunity to serve God. And I was able to help with the campus ministry and to sing this for a whole year and, and get great training and learn a lot. Um, but I, and I came back to America and then decided I wanted to pursue engineering. And uh, I started applying for jobs once again, right? And it's been one month past, two months past. I'm like, all right, God, once again, come on. Like you said, Matthew 6, you're going to take care of me. I remember confessing to Jeff saying, Jeff, like, where is God? You know, I feel like I, I served him. I saw this kingdom first. I feel like God is not taking care of me. I really wrestled and struggled with trusting God's promise, trust that God would provide for me. And um, eventually, God did. He gave me a, a job that I grew to love and a job I really enjoy now. And, um, and God came through on his promises. Yeah. But I think for you all, what promises of God do you have a hard time trusting? What promises of God do you doubt? You know, instead of waiting and being patient and, you know, trusting God's timing... You start taking action <laughs> instead of continuing on the course. You know, a lot of times that is a challenge. But for us, we have a hard time trusting the timing of God's promises, right? We're like, I want your promise now. Like, give it to me now. We do, I think our generation, we want things immediately, right? Yeah. Especially the teens in the campus and the yeah. young. We're like, yeah. instant information, or instant news, instant mac and cheese. The <laughs> <laughs> teen girls love macaroni and cheese. We like to keep it stocked up in our like, pantry, like, by the... Um, But that's just how we are. We want things immediately. The other struggle is a lot of times we want God's promises out of selfish motives. Right? We want these things not to glorify God, but to glorify ourselves. And and a lot of times we have the wrong heart as we pray and ask God for for him to fulfill his promises. Um, But the thing is we all struggle with, at times, trusting and submitting to God's promises. It's just a struggle that we have as disciples, as people. But Abraham also struggled as well. You see that he was able to be faithful and confident. Yeah. You know, but I think you look at the key that how was Abraham able to be faithful about, how was he able to be faithful towards God's promises? And we'll look at that later, but the main thing is because he was faithful about God's promises, Abraham humbled himself and submitted to God's plan. Yeah. Second day would be, you know, Abraham submitting to God's plan. Turn back over to Genesis 22. Come on, Brad. Or scroll on over to Genesis 22. Um, In verse 3, he makes preparations, right? He gets the the wood. He gets the supplies to sacrifice his son. Even in verse 5, you know, he gets to the place and he sees a mountain. You guys are still turning. I'll wait. Mm -hmm. Um, so in verse, verse 3, he makes preparations to sacrifice his son. Even in verse 5, he gets to the place where he is, he sees the mountain where he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac and tells his servants to stay back. Honestly, 
in his mind, he's like, if they go with us, they're probably going to try and stop me, right? Hold me back like, what are you doing trying to kill your son? So he tells those guys to stay back. And in verse 9, verse 9 and 10, it talks about how um, Abraham, you know, takes his son. Or first he prepares the altar, prepares the wood, right? Then he ties up his son. And he goes to put the knife to his son's throat. And I imagine Isaac kicking and screaming like, I'm not going out without a fight, Dad. Like, you're not going to take me, you know, without, without some scratches or punches or something. But, you know, imagine Abraham having to wrestle and hold his, restrain his son down so he can sacrifice him to God. That just seems crazy, you know. But that because he trusted God's promises and he had faith in them, he was willing to go this far and sacrifice his son. And uh, I think for a lot of us today, we know God's plan. For disciples, we see God's plan through the word of God. We make daily decisions to ignore God's plan. We make daily choices to choose our plan over his plan. Uh, With my job, people have the procedures laid out for them. They should just follow it. They know it. But they choose not to follow. In the same way, we make choices every day to not to follow God's plan for our lives. And uh, I think thinking about why. Why would we ever take a plan that's different, right? That's not God's plan. I think the truth is we can often think that our plan is better than God's plan, right? We think that we don't say it, but our actions, our lives can reflect that. If, yeah. All right, God, I know your plan, but it's not working. I waited a month. I waited a few years. I'm going to just go and go on the course of my plan there. Uh, but in the same way that Abraham submits to God's plan to kill his son, Christ submits to God's plan for him to go and die on the cross. Uh, turn back over to Philippians 2. Um, Sorry, that's Old Testament testing, a lot of like flipping right back and forth. And uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through verse 8. It says, um, who be, or Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself in becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So, Jesus was in heaven, right? Sitting at the right hand of God. He decides to leave all the glory and honor that he had to share with God to come to earth, right? Which is the first, like, why would you do that, you know, like, because it was God's plan. But then he, he's born, right, as a baby, as a child. He doesn't come as a grown man. Like, he comes as a little child. He has to be fed, changes diapers. Like, I mean, come on, that's, like, pretty humbling that, that Christ submitted to that plan. And he grew up into a teenager and a man. But that's the first part of, like, why would you ever do that? But because it was God's plan. But then from there, he allows himself to be arrested, to be tortured, and even to be killed on the cross. A humiliating, degradating death. Because it was all God's plan that he humbly submitted himself to God's good plan for his life. 
But it's cool to see how God comes through on his promises in verse 9. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, and at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he submitted to God's plan, humbled himself, God came through on his promises. God glorified, God honored Christ um, in, in the scriptures and as you see uh, today. He received the name above all names, glory and honor, because he submitted to God's plan for his life. Um, and I think about myself and, and my life. I had my plan as well for so many years before I became a Christian. And, and my plan for my life was to be a good person, right? Do good deeds. Be nice to people. Be kind to others as well. Um, and But as I said in John 3, uh, you guys can turn there real quick, but in John chapter 3, this is kind of what I held to before I was a Christian. Alright guys, God, I want these promises here. Um, but for myself, uh, my plan was to, like I said, be a good person, do great things, but then to live in darkness. That, you know, I was this happy, good person on the outside. I you know, did well in, in, in school, getting good grades, going to college. I was involved in the community when I was younger. Uh, but then I was someone else at night. You know, I was living a life of impurity, indulging in immorality. I was so caught, my people saw me that I uh, would change how I would act around friends at school or friends on the weekends so I could be accepted by people. Um, you know, for me, my plan was to live a double life. Live a life of sin and purity and self-indulgence. Yeah. Not a life to glorify and honor God. Uh, but I would, you know, look at John 3.16 and read there verse 16 to verse 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to, be, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Sorry, a little tongue twister there. But for me, it was like, oh, simply believe and be saved before I became a Christian. Like, that's enough. I like the fact that I could just believe in God and be okay. But that's not God's full plan. In verse 19, it goes on and says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And, and, and so um, that was me, though. I was living in darkness, living in purity, living a life of ungodliness behind closed doors and, 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 and in the world. And you've um, been looking at my success, my achievements. They're all out of selfish ambition and all out of Glorifying, making myself feel more important, feel more valued, not really out of glorifying God. So when I studied the Bible with uh, some guys in college, um, I was at a crossroads because they challenged me to study out what it means to live in sin and how it hurts you and God. And they challenged me to bring my sin into light, bring my ungodliness into light before God and before man. And I was afraid. I'm like, are they going to, you know, look at me differently? Will hurt my reputation of how they see me? Uh, I was like, will God be able to truly forgive and heal me of all my sin and everything I've done? Um, or I'll even be able to commit to God's plan for my life and actually do it forever, you know, because it's a decision for, for eternity. Um, 
looking at uh, uh, Abraham, you know, what allowed him to really trust God's plan and God's promises? He was confident that God would provide a ram. In verse 8, his sons asked him, hey, God, where's the sacrifice? He says, the Lord will provide. In verse 13, what happens? Um, we can turn there because this is such a powerful verse. But as soon as Abraham is about to kill, him, kill his son, the angel of the Lord stops him, right? And in verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his, its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. At that moment, he was about to go through with God's plan and God intervenes and provides a, a ram. I mean, what kind of dumb ram would get, like, run into a bush, right? <laughs> God put the ram there, right, for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son. Uh, animals are a lot smarter than that, as you can tell. Um, but the ram and believing that God would provide allowed Abraham to submit himself to God's plan and trust God's promises. What allows us to submit to God's plan and trust God's promises is Christ. Yeah. It's Jesus. Yeah. It's knowing him. Amen. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. Um, sorry, guys. We'll go, we'll go back over there. <laughs> I should have told you to keep your finger in, in Romans 8 or Genesis. But yeah, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against them whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and it's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and for myself, when I decided to submit to God's plan and confess my life of sin to God to these disciples, instead of getting condemnation from God or from man, the response I got was the cross. Yeah. I was shown the, the love of, of God through the cross. I was shown what just went through for my sins, that despite what I've done, God still loves me. God still accepts me. Uh, and, and that motivated me to, to repent. Repent for my sins. To turn to God. And to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And through that, I received God's promises of forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it's only after I submitted to God's plan for walking in the light and being exposed. Uh, once I did that, I was able to receive God's promises and really live out God's plan. And if Abraham was faithful... Before God gave him a lamb, what's our excuse? We have Christ, we have the lamb given to us. Um, you know, because of Christ, 
because God has given us him, we don't have to doubt God's promises. We don't have to question God's plan. We can wholeheartedly trust him. We can submit to God's plan, submit to God's promises, and um, live a life of faith. Uh, Live a life of faith at our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. And so the challenge for you all today is, what promise of God do you need to hold on to? What promise of God do you need to hold on to? And secondly, which part of God's plan in your life do you need to submit to? Amen.